read a familiar story today about a rich young ruler and uh, we all know that story but before we do let me recap a conversation we had just a couple weeks ago uh, in in the chapter in Matthew chapter 18 there was a question asked of Jesus who is the greatest in the kingdom of God who is the greatest in God's eyes and so it, it, it's an important question Jesus takes his time he answers it over the course of like 13 verses and and really what he highlights is this idea of being children he he, he puts in prominence children and so uh, that that he, he's actually encouraging us to sort of regress and become like children again uh, having said that 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 is a, a good little setup for uh, our, our our verses in Matthew. This is kind of the precursor before the the rich young ruler. So this is Matthew nineteen verse thirteen uh, through fifteen. Then children were brought to Jesus that he may lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, "Let the little children come; do not hinder them." For such belongs uh, to to such belongs the kin- kingdom of heaven, and he laid his hands on them, and then they went away. Uh, the disciples were acting like uh, secret service, and uh, and they were trying to keep these these little kids away from climbing up on our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so it's like he is not the McDonald's playland. Can you keep your kids away? And so. Uh, Jesus says, no, that's not how it works. He says the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God belongs to children. So these are the, these are the significant ones that I mentioned. And so Jesus brings this up. He, 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 he makes sure to correct his disciples because obviously they forgot already. He just had this conversation with them. He just had this long conversation about who's great, who's important. He's like, kids, kids are the thing. You need to become like kids. And then uh, the next chapter, here they are uh, doing the opposite, keeping kids away from Jesus. He's like, guys, come on, get it. So he's, he's reminding them, but he's also, he's setting up something. So the, the lead-in is important, and we'll refer back to it. So this leads into this encounter he has with a rich young ruler uh, right after this. So the very next verse, this is Matthew 19 and uh, uh, verse 16. This is how it goes. Behold, a, a man came up to Jesus saying, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And then Jesus said to him, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter if you would enter life, keep the commandments, he said. And then the guy said, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your mother and father, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said, all these things I have kept. What do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, uh, it, it would, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and then come and follow me. And the young man heard this, and he went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a, will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle 
than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it's impossible, but with God all things are possible. Uh, we, we have this contrast between Jesus' picture of greatness and what he establishes to be great in God's eyes. And there's a little recap. So this, that's established. He's talk, he talks about it. He tells stories about it. He paints this vivid picture about who's great in the eyes of God. That's last chapter. And then he just recapped it again as a reminder. Guys, kids, the kingdom of God belongs to children. So we're talking about something that we wouldn't, as adults or, or normal uh, human beings, say, though, those, that's the top of the food chain. Those are the most important people as kids. Now, we love our kids. We value our kids. But in terms of a picture of success, it's not what we would, what we would share. So we have that contrasted with what the world would say is great. And so you get this picture of youth, success, wealth, togetherness, leadership, influence. Um, if, there, if there was a, a, a series of The Bachelor at this time, this guy would probably be The Bachelor. Uh, this is a very influential, um, sought-after kind of person. So uh, this is the guy's question, this rich, young ruler, a man of influence, a man of uh, prestige, a man of wealth. He asked a question of Jesus. He just calls him a teacher. And he says, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? So the most important part of that question is, what must I do? That's, that's what he's asking. If it's up to me, what can I do in order to secure eternal life? Now, that's, that's the question, isn't it? That is sort of the age-old question. How can I earn everlasting life? How can I earn heaven? How can I earn God's good grace? How can I work my way in, earn my way in to heaven? So every religious impulse that we have kind of centers around that very question. There's something religious in all of us that's always leaning towards, have I done enough? What do I need to do? What do I need to stop doing? In fact, that's all the, all the, law, all the commands that Jesus talks about pretty much are all negative. And so he's saying, I haven't done those things. So it's sort of a resisting the temptation to do. So it's not even so much uh, always what we do, but it's also what we don't do that earns us heaven. And so the question is, how can I get there? Jesus, again, he, he starts reciting the law. He doesn't even get through all of them before the young man chimes in and says, I, I've, I've, I've done all that. I've, I've kept the law. And so, but he says, I've kept the law. I've kept all this stuff. But what do I still lack? So he said, I've done it all. I've done everything. I've, I've kept the commands. What am I missing here? In other words, why do I still, still feel a void on the inside of me? I have it all. I have everything. I've done it all. I've done everything. Why do I still feel this void? And so Jesus responds, and this is where it gets a little controversial. He says, okay, now I need you to go sell everything that you have. And give it away. 
make sure to find everything that you've got, the, uh, the, the, the coins in the ashtray of your car and the couch cushions, give it all away. And so he said, I, if you do that, you'll have treasure in heaven, and then I want you to come follow me. So at the end of the conversation, and this is kind of where the, this whole encounter ends, the young man heard this, went away sorrowful, not because he couldn't afford it, because he had a lot. He had a lot to give away, and he could not do that. So Jesus turns to his disciples and says, I want you guys to know this, that I, it's only with difficulty that a rich person can enter the kingdom of heaven. And he said, he doubles down, he says, it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle, which is impossible, for, than, uh, rather than a rich, pan, a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. What went wrong? It, it seemed like this guy had a legit question. He came up, he said, I want heaven. And then suddenly the thing's off the rails, and he goes, by, he, he goes away dejected and sad. Um, let's go back to the picture of greatness that Jesus establishes. Children. He, he establishes that this is what's great in the eyes of God. Children. What is it about kids? There's a lot. I think there's a lot you can derive from that comparison. But as it relates to this rich young ruler, I would say children uh, are, are a great example because children only have what they've been given. Only, the only thing that they have, they were given. They didn't, they didn't get a job. They didn't go out and work for it. They have what they have because somebody provided it for them. In fact, uh, another thing about children, they have to trust someone else to provide for them. They have to. Their whole life depends on someone else providing for them. Now, juxtapose that, contrast that with the rich young ruler, who is a, he's the complete opposite. He's a picture of self-reliance. He's a picture of self-madeness. He is uh, self-sufficient. He's one that's established his own way. Uh, even when it comes to spiritual things, a spiritual conversation, Jesus says, the law of God, the law of Moses. And he says, I've done all that. I got it. So Jesus uh, gently, lovingly takes him by the hand and then leads him to a place that would be his absolute limit. He leads him to the end of himself. And there's a point in this young man, in this conversation with this young man, that this rich young ruler is like, okay, the price of admission is too high. I can't go there. And so what Jesus is showing him and showing us through the text is that all the things that this guy owned ended up owning him. It, it captured him. It imprisoned him to where he, he would even walk away from salvation, eternity with God, because his stuff. It's easy for me to read this story and feel detachment from it. Uh, it's easy for me to read this story. It's kind of like reading about Pharisees, and I can feel a certain amount of detachment from it, and I can judge them for what they do and what they say. 
I'm like, you moron. I, I can read that, uh, this story and, and feel no closeness to it because I'm neither rich nor young nor a ruler. I, have not, I can't identify with this kid at all. But Jesus is confronting something in me. And he is confronting something in all of us. In fact, I will say he's confronting two massive subjects in our own hearts and lives. The first of which is our own personal definition of success. He's confronting it. In fact, he spent uh, a large part of the last chapter, and he's also spending a large part of this chapter, talking about our definition of success. Where we see it, where we, where we measure it, the way we feel about it. He's confronting, he's, he's causing us to, he's forcing us to confront it in ourselves. What is success? What really, truly matters and counts with this life. There's a, a, a beautiful uh, scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, that gives an idea of our, the way we kind of go about and our feelings about God's definitions of success versus ours. And, and it says this simply, a natural man, someone who's just consumed with the world, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. Those things are foolishness to him. And he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. And it gives this idea of there's a, there's a different value system that is of heaven, that is of the kingdom of God, that is eternal, compared to the value system of this world. In fact, what he's saying is the value system of heaven would be looked at from humanity, a natural sense, as being silly or foolish, Nonsense. So what is true success? Is it, is it the, the, the path that's blazed by the world that is heavily trafficked by the rest of culture? Or is it this other, less crowded, meandering path that kind of makes no sense? Well, Jesus is leading us to believe and understand that it is not the crowded way. It's not, it's not the, the definitions that were handed to us by this world. They don't translate to the kingdom of God. If I showed up at the Kia dealership, you should be driving a Kia. Ba la 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 bamba. How could they get away with stealing la bamba? I don't even understand that. You show up and I'm like, I want the Kia Sorento, please. Do they still make those? I don't know. I don't care. The Sorrento, it's what popped in my head. Uh, Kia Sorrento sounds like a, a very hot pepper. Have you had the Sorrento? Whew, it's a little much. Um, so the, I want the Kia Sorrento, please. Okay, that'll be, I don't know, $22,000. And then I'm like, well, do you take cash? And I unload a bag of money on the, on the desk. And the money is bright pink, bright green, bright, bright blue, bright, it's white. It's the Monopoly money. I'm like, there's a little tip in there for you too, sir. Thank you. Keep this for yourself. And here's a community chest card. <laughs> uh, what would they do? They would kick me out of there and say, you, sir, you should be leaving Kia. 
and I would be kicked out forever because it's, it's not the right currency. Now, if you're playing Monopoly and you've got $22,000, you are a high roller and you are on top of your game. You might as well just put a monocle in your eye because you are the Monopoly guy. It's the right currency for the right place. You could take a gift card to Starbucks, you could take that to be caffeinated, and they will throw it at you. It doesn't work because it's the wrong currency. We think that the currency, the standards of this world, translate to eternity. We honestly believe that. I am successful. I have it together. I am a leader. I am respected. I am a boss. I have a lot of stuff. I have a lot of money. I have a lot of things. Isn't God so impressed by this life? We, I hear this. I've heard this in church my whole life. I've heard this in church my whole life, that we honor God by succeeding. So if you are someone who hasn't been able to, who's been swimming upstream their whole life and has not got any sort of solid ground to stand on, who has not been dealt the hand that we've been dealt, who's been scratching and clawing just to keep their head above water, how do they feel? Just look at the types of people that Jesus rolled with. Were they the pillars of the community? Were they examples of success? Were they social media influencers? No. They were bottom-of-the-barrel kinds of people. And that's who he chose. And that's who he celebrated. In fact, he just spent... (laughs) 13 chapters and then a bonus couple reaffirming who's impressive in God's eyes, the completely and utterly helplessly dependent. So he's showing us our definition definition of success might need to be adjusted. What is successful in God's eyes? One who needs God. One who is desperate for God. One who has a relationship with God. One who approaches God. One who is connected to God. One who is not so self-sufficient that they have eliminated their need for God. Modern Christianity, in so many respects, looks like human beings trying to eliminate their need for God. And that is the exact wrong direction. So Jesus is confronting our definitions of success. He's doing something else as well. He's also addressing um, our deep spiritual, emotional attachment to money. Money, 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 money! Everyone's favorite subject and uh, I cannot wait to dive into it. <laughs> Let's talk about money. Um, he's addressing that in this story. And, and he invites this young man 
to lose everything, sell everything, get rid of everything. In Matthew 16, Jesus says to his disciples, if you want to follow me, you have to deny yourself, take up your cross to follow me. And he he uses the same phrase, to follow me. He says, I need you to sell everything and liquidate, get, get rid of everything to follow me. So these two things have a similar connection. To deny yourself is to let everything go. Take up your cross and follow me. Um, Within that conversation in Matthew 16, uh, when Jesus encourages them to to drop everything, deny everything, deny themselves, follow him, he he says, "What, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? And so he introduces this idea that you can actually have everything and at the same time lose everything. You can have it all and have nothing at the same time. Which brings us to our, our deep attachment to money. We love stuff. We, money is, uh, the Bible says that it's the root of all sorts of evil. It doesn't say it's the root of all evil. It's misquoted often. But it's certainly the root of all sorts of evil. Uh, during his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus makes this bold statement. He says, you can't have two masters. You can't serve God and money. Those are the two things that he puts out there. He, he says that these are the most common lords of your life that tell you what to do, where to go, how to feel, that you look to for fulfillment for satisfaction, for meaning, for purpose. So in other words, this rich young ruler was being ruled by something that Jesus talked about in the Sermon on the Mount that wants to rule you. People get a little sensitive when it comes to money, but ironically, it's it's one of the most common subjects that Jesus talked about. And the reason being is because it's it's one of the most common things that takes the place of God in our lives. It just does. And no wonder we're sensitive about it because someone, it's like me standing up here and telling people how much I hate Taylor Swift. I don't hate her. I just think she's a cult leader. Anyway, so um, that's beside the point. But if it's deeply personal to you, you get offended. You get, it gets personal, right? That's how money is. So Jesus leads this man into a conversation about something very, very personal for him. And he says, I need you to give it all away. And the Lord role in this guy's life has already been fulfilled. So Jesus is saying, if you want to experience eternity with me, you need me to be your Lord. But that position's been filled already. So No one's immune to this. Nobody. Nobody's immune to this. In fact, it does not even matter how many zeros are at the end of our bank account. No one's immune to it. We all see money as the answer to our problems. If I just had more, then I could finally feel this way. It's the key to our happiness. If I just had more, then I could finally be happy. So Jesus leads this young man to this, uh, this sacrifice, to give it all away, to follow him. And 
I, I have to ask this question. I'm reading this story. I'm like, would Jesus ever ask me to give everything away? Whew, man, would Jesus ever ask you to give everything away? I don't know. I have no idea. I do know this, though, and I can say this with all confidence. Jesus will always ask us to give. That doesn't mean he's saying go sell everything and give it all away. But Jesus will never not ask us to give. Because that's who he is. To say that giving's not important is to say that that's not an aspect of Jesus. Jesus isn't generous. Galatians 5, 6, one of my favorite verses, it's the, uh, the vision statement of our church. It's kind of built around Galatians 5, 6, which says the only thing that counts, the only thing that matters is faith expressing itself through love. So what matters, what counts in this world is faith, trusting Jesus. That faith shows up as love for others. And then how do we actually share love? How do we extend love. Love always gives. For God so loved the world that he gave. The, 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 act, the verb of love is to give. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 describes giving, generosity, as a work of grace. It's a work of the divine grace of God. In fact, it paints a picture despite difficulties, despite challenges, despite the fact that it's not convenient right now, people are having a hard time, it, it's a little tight right now, it's still a work of grace despite the difference, the difficulties. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 9. The Apostle Paul says this, each one, every single one, must give as he has decided in his heart not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Each one, each, every one must give as they've decided in the heart. What that means is according to faith, what the heart of person believes, according to the faith that we have, trusting his lead to give. Instead of uh, doing that by faith, instead of some cold, heartless law, I've, I've been a part of church my whole life, and I've heard for a vast majority of my life this conversation as it relates to giving. Give or you're in trouble. Or more ne- uh, less negative, give and you'll be, you'll be blessed because you gave. So it's a law. It's, it's compulsion. And here is the new covenant. The encouragement is is not to give under compulsion out of some compulsory law. It's from a place of faith. It's from a place of love. The story ends with this young man walking away, dejected, sad. And Jesus goes on to, to, to describe the impossible nature of a rich man entering the kingdom of heaven, which is scary for those of us who are. I'm not worried, <laughs> but I know a lot of people have read this and like, ah, oh, what does that mean? It sounds pretty bleak. So his disciples ask a question that I thought was a good question to ask. So who can be saved then? And Jesus answers them. With man, it's impossible. So what that means is, regardless if you're rich 
poor, or somewhere in between, it's impossible. With man, it's impossible. Who can be saved? Really nobody. But for Christ. With God, all things are possible. In other words, the only salvation that we can possibly experience is not natural or through natural means. It has to be supernatural. Jesus alone can make a way where there is no way. Jesus alone can pay our debts. Jesus alone can blaze the trail. Jesus alone can secure for us a place with the Father. We can only get to the Father through the Son. So there's no hope, rich, poor, anybody. But what he's saying as it relates to wealthy people is at some point in order to embrace salvation and embrace the, the miraculous work of Christ, there has to be a willingness to let go and to embrace what Christ has done as opposed to do this ourselves. So a big barricade, a big barrier is self-sufficiency, which takes us back to who does God see as being great in the kingdom? Those who aren't self-sufficient. So whether you've got a lot of money or not, we have to realize that without Christ, we have nothing. He is the only way. I want to end today with one more story. We'll walk through this real quick. Um, I can't tell the story of the rich young ruler without going to a following story, which is a story of Zacchaeus. And we've heard of Zacchaeus. And uh, it's not presented in the book of Matthew, but you skip over to Dr. Luke's account. And this happens uh, as Jesus leaves this rich young ruler and travels. He encounters this young man who is uh, a tax collector and also quite wealthy. So he's another wealthy person. It's a theme. So this is in Luke chapter 19, and this is what the Bible says. Jesus entered Jericho. He was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he was seeking to see Jesus who was uh, who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry up and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down and, uh, and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, the, the, the bystanders, they all grumbled. He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save that which is lost. Uh, the, the last sentence there is interesting because if you remember back in chapter 18, he talks about that one lamb, the one sheep that wanders off 
from the hundredfold and the, the, the flock. And so Jesus would leave the 99 to, to find the lost sheep. And here is the, states, the same statement that, that God came to seek to save that which is lost. Uh, Zacchaeus is the lost sheep. In fact, Jesus talking about the, these children, and, and just so happens this guy is small in stature. And maybe it's one of those guys from behind you say, is that my kid? He's like, no, that's, that's Zacchaeus. He's a tax collector. It takes us back to God's definition of success, which is ironic because this guy is hated. And he is the icon of wrong. He's the icon of bad. He's the icon of uh, horrible. He's a betrayer of his own people. He is hated. He has no friends. He's gained everything but lost it all too. He's wealthier than he's ever been, but he has no friends, no respect, no honor, nothing. And so he's desperate. He is desperate. So desperate that he would do something as silly as run ahead of the crowd just so he can climb a tree so he can see this person, Jesus. And Jesus doesn't leave it there. He says, okay, come on down. I'm coming over. And, of course, he's like, thank you. That's amazing. So the question, who can be saved? Can a rich man be saved? Yep. Here he is. An incredibly rich person finds salvation. In fact, something happens on the inside of him that's, that's unusual. If you notice, if you read the story closely, Jesus never says, I need you to go sell everything and give it away. Never brings it up. Jesus actually never brings up money in this conversation. Not once. He doesn't say what he says to the rich young ruler. But there's something that happens, a chemical reaction that happens on the inside of Zacchaeus. Unprovoked. Not according to the law. In fact, he supersedes what the law would even suggest for repayment of people he ripped off. Something happens on the inside of him where he's found something that is far superior than anything he's ever experienced. He found salvation. He found grace. He found Jesus. And because he found Jesus, he was overwhelmed by the amazing nature of what he found in Jesus. It moved him to naturally, unprovoked, give. Now, yes, he was trying to make recompense for what he had done wrong. He trying to make up for what he had done wrong, paying people back. But the first thing he said, even before he gets there, is I want to take half of everything I have and I want to give it to people who need it. Unprovoked. What is that? That is an inside-out transformation. That is what happens when the grace of Jesus captures you and and it captures you in such a way that you realize you, there's no hope outside of it. He was broken. He was desperate. He needed something to happen. And he found Jesus. What's the contrast? You have two people wealthy, two people by all accounts successful, 
One person who was satisfied in his own togetherness. The other person was broken and desperate and in need of Jesus. Who found salvation and hope in this story? The one who was broken. Jesus didn't come for the together. He came for the untogether. He didn't come for the successful. He came for the unsuccessful. Now, that can look a lot of different ways. Like we said, this is an unsuccessful person in life who is successful monetarily. But it didn't matter. Matthew chapter 6 says that where our heart is, there our treasure is also. Our treasure and our heart are intrinsically linked. What we give ourselves to, our time, our attention, our wealth, we, we invest it where we love. We invest it where our heart is. And the things that have our heart have all of us. In this day, Zacchaeus' heart was captured by Jesus. And where does it go? To others. It's amazing. A love and a heart for Jesus translates to loving and serving your neighbor. What's the great command? Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength, and at the same time, love your neighbor as yourself. Only a heart gripped by grace can do both. Open-handedness, generosity is a result of overwhelming gratitude for God's loving kindness towards us. We are gripped by grace and not by anything else. We are captured, arrested by grace, and it changes us from the inside out. So as we look at our lives, as we look at our dreams, as we look at our goals and our ambitions and our relationships, as we look at our future, as we consider our past, as we look at it all under the lens of, I want my life to count, I want to experience fulfillment with my life. There is one power source that fuels exactly what it is that in our heart of hearts we desperately crave. There's one source, and that is a connection with Jesus, his grace. It takes us places that we can't go. We can have it all and still get to that same place where we're like, I don't feel anything here. Jim Carrey once said, I wish everyone in the world could be rich and famous so they could discover it's not the answer to anything. This world can give you everything and you can still have nothing. You can gain the whole world yet forfeit your soul. There's no amount of gold at the end of the rainbow that can satisfy our deep, our deep longings that are inevitably spiritual. We're not... Spirit, we're not human beings trying to have a spiritual experience. We're spiritual beings having a human experience, and we desperately need something that is beyond this world. We crave it. The Bible says the earth groans in anticipation of the return of its king. We crave something greater. 
And then when we have it, it makes everything in our lives greater. It makes our lives greater. It turns the volume up to 11. Any Spinal Tap fans? It adds color. It adds vibrancy. It adds meaning and purpose when you, when you start to get a glimpse of the goodness of God at work through his people. The focus moves off of our own performance. The focus moves off our own check boxes. The focus moves off our own possessions. I know we've all done this. We laid in bed and said, if I could just order this thing on Amazon right now, my life will finally be fulfilled. When that box shows up, I will finally be happy. And then you get it, and you're on to something else. It's never, ever, ever enough. Christ is more than enough. So, this is my encouragement. May every day we be retuned to his grace. May every day we be reminded that all we have in this world is Christ. Whom have I but you? I have everything I need in Christ. And because I have everything I need in Christ, then my life has so much more meaning and purpose and fulfillment than I've ever experienced before. My encouragement is to keep leaning into that reality because it will transform us from the inside out.